0: Hey space fans, we are back from our special coverage of NASA's Artemis 1 launch. By now, you're probably aware that the launch was scrubbed and pushed to a later date, but scrubbed launch attempts are a normal part of our business, especially when it's the first attempt of a new system. Follow nasa.gov for updates on the next launch date. Now let's get back to our season, focusing on the future of space and in this episode, how we are making smart cities smarter with space technology. Welcome to Lockheed Martin Spacemakers, the podcast that takes you out of this world for an inside look at some of our most challenging and innovative missions. My name is Ben, and I'll be your host. In season two, we explore Lockheed Martin's bold new vision of a future we call Space 2050. We partnered with our Advanced Technology Center to bring you an inside look at the innovations and technologies we are developing to make that future a reality. Because getting there is just the beginning. It's estimated that half the Earth's population live in a smart city. That's 3.5 billion people. It's projected that by 2030, that number will rise to over 5 billion. So how will the future of space make smart cities, well, smarter? My colleague Natalia Alexik takes a closer look.
1: We are here with Spacemakers, And I'm speaking with Pete Pettigore. Can you tell us what you do at Lockheed Martin?
2: Yeah, so I'm Pete Pettigore. Um, I'm the smart city lead for commercial and civil spaces advanced programs development group at Lockheed Martin Space. And I've been in this role a little under a half a year. Before that, I was a structural dynamicist on the Orion program for the last uh, seven years about.
1: What does your day look like when you come in the door? What kind of challenges do you tackle on a daily
2: basis? Working in smart cities is pretty new for Lockheed, so day-to-day a lot of the work is trying to figure out where we're going and and the best business models that will help us get there. I think along with the technical side of things, you need to think about how you're implementing a lot of these solutions. And with the smart city side of it, we have a lot of great technical solutions out there at Lockheed stretching across the military side to the commercial civil side. We're really trying to brainstorm how we get to where we're going by integrating these technologies and really building the smart city of the future.
1: So let's paint a picture about what that looks like just in a high level. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about smart cities, you're talking about cities
2: where? It doesn't even have to be a city. So let's start there. (laughs) It could be a smart economy. It could be a smart town. I think a lot of times when people talk smart cities, they think these big metropolitan areas... And I've seen a stat that said 70% of people are going to be living in a smart city by the year 2050. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're grouping up in these large cities. That might mean that the smart city is more bleeding over into rural areas and and smaller towns uh, and areas that you wouldn't expect. But I did bring a, a couple definitions of a smart city that I like that will help frame that for everyone. So one of them that's more the base level definition, a smart city is one that uses electronic methods to measure data and uses that data to manage assets, resources, and services efficiently. Okay. That's kind of the base level, but I think this is something that can spread to a lot of different areas, rural areas, towns, um, not just large cities. So I think it's important to think about what the solution is targeted for. So another definition about the smart and smart cities is that smart is defined as the efficient use of digital technologies to provide prioritized services and benefits to meet community goals such as economic vitality, equity, resilience, sustainability, or the quality of life. Okay. So I think that's it's important to keep in mind who these solutions are targeted for. It's really us in our daily lives.
1: The solutions you're talking about, we are finding up in space as we, we venture further into deep space and create technologies that help us gather information from and resources from there. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of alignment in the technologies that we're using in, in space exploration and smart cities. I could list off numerous examples. One, I think it's a matter of when you're doing deep space exploration, it's a matter of limited resources, right? And that's what we see in a smart city is we have limited resources or we want to use our resources as efficiently as possible, like those definitions we're saying. So it's about for food, for instance, in the agricultural industry, how do you grow and how do you maintain your food resources as close as possible to where they're being used. So if you think of deep space exploration, you're going to think of some sort of vertical farm that is helping grow and sustain the the astronaut population, maybe on the surface of the moon. And that those same technologies that are automating the harvesting of those agricultural resources and efficiently using all of your water, you know, the seeds that you have to grow from, those same technologies can be applied in urban farming and what you'd see in the middle of a city. And how you can really cut supply chains down and get what people need closer to where they're living.
1: That's connectivity, communications, data gathering, all of those things. Can you dig a little deeper into what you say technologies, but what technologies?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like I was saying, we're doing a lot with different technologies to connect things better. I think a big one that is very relevant to smart cities is 5G. You hear about 5G coming. What that really does is, It allows connectivity to a lot of different devices at once, and that's the definition of an Internet of Things network. You're connecting all these different pieces of sensors or what have you that are collecting data. You're connecting those together in real time so that one sensor or if you're in your car, you're connected to an array of sensors, not just in your car, like using that as an example of smart cars of the future have tons of sensors all over them to detect where you're going, where there's things you may run into. But if you had a flow of data coming in from every other car on the highway, that's just only going to improve things going down the line. So 5G is one capability there. Right now, Lockheed Martin's doing a lot with remote sensing that is very applicable to smart cities as well. We have a lot of technologies that can do that remote sensing. One great example is, you know, fire detection technology. So if you live in a forested area, that would be of great benefit to have a real-time look at the area around you and know when there's some sort of, you know, catastrophe coming in the form of a fire, being able to identify that as early as possible and tying that into a system that automatically in the future may deploy drones to go fight that fire in, an, in a completely automated sense would be very beneficial. And so those are the kind, I see... A lot of the technologies for smart cities really falling into the category of communications and remote sensing. I think those are the two big areas. But it's really about using those communication assets maybe through a space layer to connect all that data together and really make better conclusions on how to manage things back on Earth.
1: So the remote sensing network will live in space, correct? But it will benefit Earth. And where are we on that? How close are we to getting that kind of network activated and instrumental in all of these things that we envision
2: It's hard because space is expensive and you really have to have goals aligned to get some of these remote sensing technologies into space. Like the technology is there. It's just a matter of launching it and the cost behind launching it and making sure that you have a customer that can pay for it. But things like GeoCarb that we're helping build a sensor for is monitoring air pollution. We have an array of sensors we've deployed to Mars, for example, to do remote sensing there. But we don't even have some of those here looking back at Earth.
1: So there's work being done up in space right now with remote sensing, but at the moment they sound like discrete or separate systems. Is that correct? So there's one looking at potentially Mars. There's another one looking at the environment on Earth, but they're not connected right now.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they're all designed for very specific purposes with a specific science objective in mind. A lot of those systems are trying to openly share their data, but they're not connected in some sort of uh, greater network that's drawing better conclusions for them. And that's happening to some extent. But I think doing more of that is really the key to, to unlocking the power of what you think of a smart city is connecting all that data together to do more with your data.
1: Is it something like, let's just say the state of Kansas has a higher need than other states to know about supercells because of their history of tornadoes? So is this something where maybe a state government would invest in their own particular, not satellite, but satellite, so that it can help them?
2: Yeah. You need to think about the community that is using these technologies. And exactly. Like Kansas may be way more interested in a supercell coming through than a desert area in Arizona or something like that. A heavily forested area, maybe in the Rockies, is going to be way more concerned about forest fires. You need to take into account what the community values and how you align your smart city solutions around those. I think things like this will happen at a state level, at least in the United States, with the federal infrastructure funding that's available or going to be available is not something that the federal government is going to direct. It's going to be something that they allocate to states because they know that those states know what they need. And that money is going to be spent on upgrading and improving infrastructure. And those kind of infrastructure improvements go right along with smart city developments. I think the other important fact when you're thinking about smart city improvements, the National Institute of Standards and Technology actually just released a report defining their key performance indicators for smart city developments and how to apply those. And the biggest piece of those key performance indicators were understanding the values of the community and making sure that those values are tied to your key performance indicators when you're assessing a new smart city initiative. I think one great example of that happening already is the Copernicus program, which is the European Union's Earth Observation program that is doing a lot of different Earth observation techniques with space-based satellites and not just doing the recording of that data, but they're compiling it and making it available for free to the public to do various things across Europe, you know, help with land management, track resources, all of that. And I think it's a great blueprint for how you can apply a lot of these remote sensing techniques because it's not just about recording the data, it's about getting it into a format that's digestible and people can act on and disseminating that information as well.
1: Is there a whole other level of solutions that's private industry oriented?
2: Oh, yeah. A lot of smart city technologies, these communication aspects can be applied to manufacturing. I think a lot of what we're thinking with communication solutions for smart cities is providing always on connectivity. So any sort of outage in power or communication, especially in a world where you have smart manufacturing going on and they're doing their own Internet of Things with all their devices in their factory. Anytime you lose power communications, that may force you to shut your entire manufacturing operations down. And the restart of all that may take some time and that time is lost money. And so there are opportunities to to solve some of those commercial problems.
1: What other technologies are we working on that will help these Earth-based smart cities?
2: Yeah, I think the remote sensing and the communication piece is thinking about how you can apply existing space technologies directly to help smart cities. But I think the other side of it, at least from our perspective, is how do you align technology development for things we normally do, like space exploration? How do you align that stuff with uh, smart cities as well? And I think a big piece there that is obviously applicable is AI and machine learning. You know, we're doing a lot there. I think Orion has a couple of different projects with flight software review. I know we did some AI and machine learning techniques and applied them to Orion's drop tests when it got dropped in a pool to predict results. high level AI and machine learning is about taking mass amounts of data and drawing better conclusions from it. And that is so applicable in everything from smart cities to space exploration, and I think We're looking at ways to align those types of technology developments so we can apply them in in ways that benefit our traditional businesses and new ones here at home that benefit everybody. We're already applying AI and machine learning techniques, but things like power beaming could be very useful for applications on the lunar surface, but also back here on Earth, and those are just in their infancy
1: Tell us a little bit about power beaming. I've never heard of it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, just like any sort of communication signal, you're sending a beam of energy. This is just a very powerful beam of energy, and at least right now, it's not very efficient. So you lose a lot of energy. But going down the line, we may find better ways to uh, create energy with nuclear power. I mean, that's something that is being looked at to be used on the lunar surface. And when we have more efficient power sources... And maybe we don't care as much about the energy loss, the power beaming technology may be viable and it's only going to improve. But we're, that's something that's an example of something that's in its infancy now. But we have a lot of technologies like AI and machine learning that we're applying now already. So I think, you know, we have a, a large breadth of the full technical readiness level or TRL level for a lot of different things. And we're trying to find new ways to apply those back on Earth. And I think that's the hardest part is some of the applications of these technologies on Earth were never thought of before. And, and that's what we're trying to do now.
1: What do you think is the game changer coming everyone's way that we don't even know about yet? Is, is it that within 10 years we'll all be driving cars that have remote sensing capability?
2: In my mind, I don't want there to be a massive moment where all of a sudden everything changes. I think a lot of this stuff should be happening in the background and the everyday person. You shouldn't be worried about the detailed technical side. You should be worried about getting the information you need in the quickest, most efficient way possible. I mean, there's a lot of applications in the virtual reality, and the AR, the augmented reality world. We're talking about an Internet of Things world. Imagine you're at the airport when a plane's coming in. Every once in a while, these, a plane needs to have some sort of maintenance. It obviously needs to be refueled. There are things that need to be checked. In a world where that plane's connected seamlessly through some sort of 5G network in an internet of things, you know that data's coming off the plane before it's even landing. That data could be transmitted to a system that's telling the technician that's gonna be working on that plane what needs to be inspected, how much fuel needs to be loaded, what other things need to be checked. And if there was some sort of maintenance that needs to be done, maybe that maintenance and the work instructions for that maintenance are sent directly to this technician's augmented reality headset. And they just look at a part on the plane And it says, unbolt this, unbolt that, look at this. This is what you're looking for. Here's a picture of what a common failure here looks like. There's so many applications of augmented reality and VR in a smart city as well. And those are also technologies that we're looking at too. So that same example of the airplane. I know on Orion, we're already using augmented reality in similar ways to track inspections, to track installations, to make sure we're doing everything right. And also record the inspections because... There's always an issue where something was torqued down just a little different or something looks a little off. And if you have the ability to go back in time and look at the video from the actual installation from the technician's eyes, that's extremely valuable. Even in in the augmented and virtual reality worlds, there's so many use cases we haven't even explored yet.
1: So tell us a little bit about the value of Orion having that on the Artemis missions. How valuable is that to drive this forward as an applicable technology that will be essentially spread out to all humanity.
2: Yeah, it's extremely valuable. You need to put these things to use. You need to get hours under the belts of the people using them. You need to work out the kinks. And that takes time. And, and having opportunities to do that is important. And being able to do it on such an important piece of hardware like Orion is amazing to be able to do. When we're looking at the Artemis program and, and what we're going to be doing on the, the lunar surface, I think there's opportunities to test augmented reality as well. You know, just having the visor of an astronaut be able to tell them exactly what's going on and their lunar base, seeing different pieces of the lunar infrastructure and data coming from those would be extremely valuable and save so much time when time is very precious there. And being able to test that out in an isolated environment where you have a limited amount of backup hardware and all troubleshooting needs to be done remotely, I think that's extremely valuable.
1: So I have a a broad range question for you. We are talking about smart cities. We are talking about Earth. And we are talking about where all humans live right now. But we know from our conversations with other scientists at Lockheed that while this may be your focus and the technologies that you're helping develop and predict are focused on how that will help Earth and help cities from everything from medicine to traffic congestion to food sustainment, can those cities go up onto space?
2: I think in an ideal future, they may be interchangeable. In the near term, though, there are aspects that go both ways, things you would want to apply from existing smart cities to a lunar outpost or a Martian base, and vice versa. One might be water filtration. We're doing some work into trying to figure out the best ways to to filter lunar regolith out of Ice that we would collect on the lunar surface. And I'm sure people have heard stories from Apollo about how the Apollo astronaut suits were torn apart by the lunar regolith because it was so sharp and cutting to those suits. It's not easy to filter water that has stuff like that in it and among that, everything else that would require it to get to a level that's drinkable. We want to align our technology developments that apply to smart cities with things that are happening in space exploration and and looking at how a smart city might exist on the lunar surface, like water filtration, same thing with air purification. Those are all things that apply directly to, to our lives here on Earth.
1: What about mobility?
2: That's a great one. Yeah, mobility, same way. I mean, before we put humans back on the moon again, and while they're there, we're going to have rovers helping them out. And you may have fleets of little rovers doing mining operations for ice and You need to control where they are. You need to know where they are. And that same technique is already being applied in delivery drones that you see on college campuses. You know, you see videos of them tipping over and falling down and people interacting with them. But like, those are great use cases for how you control such systems. Like what happens when it tips over? How does it flip itself back up? Do you do the same thing on the moon? Like the more you do this stuff, the more you test it, you know, the more insight you gain and the more you realize how else you can use those technologies.
1: Pete, everything you're talking about is... The vision of the future is incredible. It it includes smart cities on Earth, smart cities on the moon, and beyond. It includes connectivity like we've never seen before, data that helps humanity. What about security, though?
2: Yeah, it's a really important question. Protecting a lot of those systems has to do with the communication networks that they reside on. Are these secure networks really secure? Do you have solutions in place that prevent people from gaining access to the network and moving laterally through the system to other things they should not be accessing? That's definitely an area that we're focused heavily on, and obviously Lockheed has a lot of experience in designing these types of systems for military applications, but we're looking at how we can take those applications and use them to protect us at home. Another piece of it is just personal data. People don't want their data getting out there, but if you're using your data in a way that is collaborative and it aggregates it with other data, there's so much you can do with it and and you can be so much more efficient. I think that is important to think about when we're designing smart cities and how you're bringing all of these pieces of data together. In our minds, we think always-on connectivity is extremely important, and that comes in a secure way and a resilient way. You want to be able to protect yourself, and you want to be resilient against any unforeseeable disasters that shut down pieces of your communication system. And if you have such a resilient and secure communication system in place, that is the backbone that you can build a lot of these smart city solutions off of. That is a key piece and the next step that we need to implement.
1: And so you're in the thick of it. And that's very exciting. What gets you up in the morning? What, what excites you the most about this?
2: I think, you know, I'm in a position where I can help craft the strategy around this. And I think any solution we create in smart cities is, is going to benefit a lot of people. Everyone is going to see benefits from smart city technologies being applied and improving our day-to-day lives. And I think that's something that really brings me into work every day. And The nerd in me also loves the fact that I get to engage with some extremely sharp people, learn about things, and get, as they say, just dangerous enough to talk about it in (laughs) a, in a lot of different areas. It's the ability to improve the world that we live in and do it with some of the coolest technology that I've ever seen.
1: Well, thank you, Pete. I've been speaking with Pete Pentagor about smart cities and the future of space and all of the technologies we're bringing to that future to move humankind forward. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Smart cities powered by space tech will allow for real-time connectivity in a way that we can only imagine. We'll have smart environments customized all the way down to an individual's needs. Artificial intelligence will play a significant role in making all of this possible. What are the biggest challenges of integrating AI into everything we do on Earth and in space? How is AI critical to establishing everything from human colonies on the Moon to trade routes to Mars? Find out more in our next episode... Intelligent life.
0: You've been listening to Pete Penegor at Lockheed Martin, and Pete is a spacemaker. Whether you're a software engineer, systems engineer, finance, or HR professional, we need spacemakers like you to make the seemingly impossible missions a reality. Please visit this episode's show notes to learn more about what you just heard in this episode or the careers available at Lockheed Martin. If you enjoyed this show. Please like and subscribe so others can find us and follow along for more out-of-this-world stories. To learn more about our missions, products, and people, follow our new Twitter handle at LMSpace and visit LockheedMartin.com backslash space. Join us on the next episode as we introduce you to more space makers. Spacemakers is a production of Lockheed Martin Space. It's executive produced by Pavan Desai. Senior producer is Natalia Oleksik. Senior producer, writer, and host is Ben Dinsmore. Sound design and audio mastered by Julian Giraldo. Graphic design by Tim Rush. Marketing and recruiting by Joe Portnoy, Shannon Myers, Mallory Richardson, and Stephanie Dixon. A huge thanks to all the communication professionals at Lockheed Martin who helped make these stories possible. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.
1: Need even more space? Subscribe to Lockheed Martin's monthly Space Scoop newsletter to get all the latest space news, fun facts, and behind the scenes mission updates right to your inbox. Sign up using the link in show notes. And remember to follow Lockheed Martin on social media.
0: Hey, space fans. There's a new way to interact directly with Lockheed Martin space and go even further behind the scenes of the technologies, missions, and people driving the future of space. We've launched a brand new Twitter handle, at space, devoted fully to giving you exclusive access to the Lockheed Martin products and missions you love. Head on over to Twitter, give us a follow, and let us know what your favorite Spacemakers episode is. We'll see you in the Twitter sphere.